When things go wrong, you want them to get back to normal, don't you? On March the 23rd in 1989, an Exxon Valdez oil tanker hit a reef off Alaska. 312 million litres of oil, or 125 Olympic pools of oil, gushed out into the ocean. Exxon had to spend roughly $2.1 billion to clean it all up. Lloyd's List, which is a, an organisation that provides information on shipping uh, casualties and shipping information, shipping movements, Lloyd's List reported that the average seal rehabilitated after the uh, Valdez oil spill had $80,000 spent on it. Two of the most expensive seals were put back into the bay in a special ceremony and within two minutes they were both eaten by a killer shark. <laughs> when things go wrong you want to get them back to normal but sometimes it just doesn't work out. Now this morning we're starting a new series on the book of Luke and what we're going to see is that Jesus came to get things back to normal, to take us back to when life wasn't messed up with sin and pain and death. And this is a truth that changes the way we look at life. It helps us to understand all those countless little decisions we make every day. Now we're jumping into chapter 4 of Luke and over the next four Sundays we're going to work our way through until chapter 5. But before we do, it'd be good to see where this fits in Luke's gospel as a whole. In chapters 1 to 3, the birth of Jesus is announced and it happens. And then in chapters 4 to 9, which is the section we're going to be in, Jesus shows everyone that he's king. He does it by doing some amazing miracles. He casts out demons. He heals people. He raises the dead. He, he stops a storm just by talking to it. He feeds 5,000 people. Amazing stuff. And what he's doing is he's showing everyone his credentials. He really is the king in God's kingdom. Then in chapters 10 to 19, Jesus basically stops doing miracles and starts teaching people about the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 20 until the end, Jesus goes into Jerusalem to bring in God's kingdom by dying on a cross. Now for the next four Sundays, we're in the Jesus showing he's the king section. We get to watch him in action as he displays his credentials. And first off, we get to watch him do something that no one had done before. He's going to take on Satan and win. Jesus has come to get things back to normal, back to the way things were before Satan led humanity up the garden path. So point one on your outline... And let's have a look at chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, before we look at the temptations, we need to notice what the devil called Jesus, the Son of God. In the very last verse of chapter 3, just before this, Luke also tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. And chapter 3 helps us to understand what's happening when this Son of God is tempted by the devil. So let's have a look at the end of chapter 3. The last thing Luke does in chapter 3 is give us Jesus' family tree. 
And he ends it in verse 38, chapter 3, verse 38. He ends it by saying that Jesus is the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. Jesus is a, he's a son of Adam. It's like the creatures of Narnia um, calling Peter and Edmund sons of Adam. In other words, they're human. And that's what Luke's point is about Jesus as well. He's a human, just like us. But he's not just any human. Adam was created in the image of God. He was a son of God in God's likeness. But that likeness was ruptured at the fall. Sin disrupted the family. Sin destroyed the family. And every human since then suffers the same break. Every human except Jesus. He never sinned. So his family tree doesn't finish with being a son of Adam. Verse 38 finishes with Jesus being the son of God. Jesus is human as God intended humans to be. Jesus, as man, bears the likeness of God exactly. Jesus is the true son of God. In other words, he's the true human. And it's as the son of God, the true human, that Luke wants us to understand Jesus as he encounters the devil in the desert. Just like Adam, the first human, faced off with the devil, so too does Jesus, the true human. He faces off with the devil. Now we all know that Jesus comes out unscathed. He resists the devil at every turn, unlike Adam. But so what, in one sense? I mean, are we just meant to cheer? You know, hooray for Jesus. He did it. Adam didn't. Well, as we look at the details, we're going to discover that Jesus is signaling. He's signaling something. He's signaling that he's come to reverse all that Satan put in motion when he led humanity down the path of death. With the temptations of both Adam and Jesus, there's lots that's the same, but there are some crucial differences. So let's have a look at the details. Back to verse 1. Keep an eye out this time for where Jesus is tempted. Verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them... He was hungry. You see where Jesus was tempted? In the desert, where he ate nothing. It's the exact opposite of Adam. Adam was tempted in the garden, where he had more food than he could wish for. Now, not only this, Adam was forced out of the garden after giving in to the temptations, whereas Jesus, he returns to the garden after resisting the devil's temptations. Have a look down in verse 14. Verse 14 of chapter 4. After the devil leaves Jesus, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. You see, after being tempted by Satan, Jesus returns to Galilee, back into the promised land, which is the Old Testament replacement for the Garden of Eden. See how it's all flipped with Jesus? Adam, in the garden, gives in and has to leave. Jesus, in the desert, resists, and so he goes back in. I think what we're meant to notice here is that there's something of a reversal going on. And we see the same sort of thing when we look at the temptations themselves. The first temptation of Jesus was to do with food, just like it was for Adam. Adam was tempted to believe that God was holding back on him not giving him every tree for food. 
And Satan tried the same sort of thing on Jesus. Have a look at verse 3. The devil said to him, If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, Man does not live on bread alone. Satan's saying, If you're the son of God, then why are you starving out here in the desert? God's not looking after you. Go on, make some bread for yourself. But God does have his best interests at heart. And Jesus knows that. And so he resists the devil and trusts God to look after him. The next temptation is to do with power, just like it was for Adam. Satan sold Adam the lie that the reason God said don't eat from this tree is because he doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding you back, Adam. You can be like God. Eat the fruit. Take the power. Well, Satan tried the same line on Jesus. Verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor, for it's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Satan's basically saying, all the kingdoms and the powers of the earth, it's meant to be yours. You're the son of God. So take it. Go on, take it. Worship me. It's all yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now Satan was right in suggesting that all the powers of the earth could belong to Jesus. But Jesus and his heavenly father knew that that would only come through suffering and death and then glory. Satan offered a quick, easy solution, but Jesus didn't fall for it. He didn't grasp for power like Adam did. Instead, he was obedient, even to death. And so now he is installed as the king over all the earth. The last temptation is to do with defying death, just like it was for Adam. The devil said of eating from the forbidden tree, if you eat of it, you will not surely die. You'll live. Stare death in the face. You'll be fine. And Satan tried the same thing with Jesus. Verse 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan saying, come on, Jesus, stare death in the face. You'll be fine. But Jesus knows that testing God out, seeing whether God means something when he says something, well, that's wrong. When God says it, he means it. As it it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so the devil leaves. Having been resisted at every turn, the devil has nothing left to do but go away. Do you see what this episode is signalling? Jesus is set up as a son, of man, a son of Adam and the son of God, the true human in his family tree. He's tempted with food and power and life in the face of death, just like Adam was. But Jesus doesn't give in like Adam did. And so he leaves the desert and goes back into the garden, back into the promised land. What's on show here is that Jesus is signaling he's come to reverse the fall. He's come to undo what Adam did. 
He's come to take Satan out of the picture, to get things back to normal, back to the way they were, to remove Satan and and everything associated with him, like sin and death. And Jesus has come to do it for us because he's one of us. He's the son of Adam, the son of God, the true human. But Jesus didn't defeat Satan in the desert, did he? Satan wasn't given the killer blow there. We read in verse 13 that the devil left him until an opportune time. The devil will be back, but he's been put on notice. It's not until we get to the end of Luke's book where we see Satan cornered and crushed. Christ's death and resurrection from the dead is where um, Satan's end is heralded. Because Satan's power over humanity, what is it? Well, his power over us is when we believe his lies and fall into sin. And sin means death, both in this life and in the life to come. But in the cross of Christ and his resurrection from the dead, we see sin punished and sinners purified. We see sins forgiven and we see death conquered, swallowed up in life, the life of the Son of God. So with sin and, de- and death left reeling, Satan's got nothing left. So do you see what this means? Satan, sin, death, all dealt with. Jesus has reversed the fall. He's undone the mess that Adam left behind. And since he did it as the true human, we as fallen humans, we get to share in all his benefits. We can be reversed out of the grip of Satan. We can be released from the captivity of sin. We can be set free from the mastery of death. Jesus has made a way back into the garden, back to the way life was meant to be, free to serve God, free to enjoy God. So if you want to be a part of the life where sin and Satan and death no longer command your destiny, well, you've got to get on board with Jesus because he's the only one who resisted Satan without capitulating. He's the only one who can and has defeated Satan on our behalf. That's wonderful news, isn't it? For sinners like you and me, we can go back to paradise. However, having said all that, it's obvious, isn't it? We don't live in paradise now, do we? Yes, Jesus had the crushing victory, but the reality of living in a fallen world, well, it's it's all too clear, painfully clear. Our own personal struggles with sin the news reports that remind us of evil, the chaotic and unfair tragedies, our bodies that are growing old and dying. Sin, Satan and death, they still prowl around, but the war has been won. It's a bit like D-Day in the Second World War. Everything hinged on that battle. Don't know whether you're a bit of a World War II buff. And for the Allies, D-Day worked. A successful invasion at Normandy, the German army uh, retreating, it signalled that Europe would soon once more be in the power of the Allied forces. And with that, everyone knew, Germans included, that the Allies would eventually win the war. Now from D-Day on, the the Germans, they were were defeated and retreating, but the war didn't finish on D-Day, did it? No, there were still other battles going on. There was still mess to be mopped up, but the outcome was certain. No, the war, in a sense, had already been won. Now, that's a bit like Jesus. 
in his death and resurrection, he has defeated sin, Satan, death. But they're still around. There may be some battles going on, but it's just mopping up the mess. The day will come when all skirmishes will cease. When Jesus returns, the war will be officially called over. And we already know who wins. Sin and Satan and death will be destroyed forever because they've already been defeated by Jesus. But right now, you and I, well, we live in that mopping up stage. We're looking forward to the coming of glory and paradise, but Satan still lingers around before his final and certain destruction, which means that as we wait, we still have to contend with him. Satan still needs to be resisted despite having already been defeated, which raises the question, doesn't it, of how we do that. How do fallen humans like you and me, reversed out of the grip of Satan, how do we resist Satan? Well, Jesus shows us what it is to be truly human, since he is the true human. And so we resist Satan the way that Jesus did. And he did it with the word of God. And so should we. You notice that as we looked our way through Luke chapter 4, that for every single temptation that Satan tried to pull on Jesus, Jesus replied, it is written. It is written. It says. The word of God was his defense against Satan. And so it should be our defense as well. The first son of God, Adam, he doubted and disobeyed God's word. But the true son of God, Adam, ah, Jesus, oh, that reversed my talk, wouldn't it? The true son of God, Jesus, he didn't doubt and disobey. He trusted and obeyed God's word. We resist the devil today simply by trusting and obeying the word of God, just like Jesus did. So when your bank account is low, when you're frustrated because you can't live in the house that you want to, when you can't afford all the things that you'd be able to give your kids because you support your church and other gospel activities, when you see next door's new stereo or, or their new barbecue or car or, or boat and it all just looks so good, that's Satan tempting you to find contentment in the riches of this life, tempting you with the good life in the here and now. It's Satan tempting you to abandon the riches of heaven that you can't see and to replace them with the riches of this earth that you can. So it's an assault on your life. And what are you going to do with these temptations? You're going to be selfish like Adam and live for yourself in the here and now? Or are you going to obey Jesus when he says, store up treasures in heaven? Are we going to obey the word of God when it says that friendship with the world, that's hatred towards God? Are we going to trust the word of God when it tells us that wanting to get rich can be a trap that will lead us into ruin and destruction? See, let's not doubt and disobey God's word. Let's trust and obey like the true man, Jesus, did. And when you're telling your friends about why they need to be saved... And the bit about hell, oh, it just sounds a bit too harsh. And when you're chatting to the hairdresser, and they say that God loves everyone and, and everyone's going to get to go to heaven. And when your new age neighbour announces that all religions lead to God. Oh, it's Satan tempting you to water down the gospel, tempting you to change the gospel, tempting you to leave the gospel. It's an assault on your life.
What are you going to do with these temptations? Are you going to find the easy way out like Adam did? Or are you going to trust Jesus when he says that he's the only way to the Father? Are you going to trust him when he says that he had to die and to rise from the dead? And that if he didn't, we'd still be trapped in sin and destined for judgment. Let's not doubt and disobey God's word. Let's trust and obey like Jesus, the true human, did. And when your marriage is rough and the thought of being with someone else is appealing, when the opportunity to spend time with them comes along, when committing adultery almost seems justifiably, especially if you knew what I've been through, when it crosses your mind that if nobody knows, nobody gets hurt, oh, that's Satan tempting you to go down that path of unfaithfulness, tempting you to cross lines that should never have even been approached. It's Satan tempting you to treat Jesus and his authority with contempt. It's an assault on your life. What are you going to do with these temptations? Going to be like Adam, do whatever feels good at the time? Or are you going to trust the word of God when it says that sex is great and it's for marriage? Are you going to trust God's word when he tells us that marriage, it's worth fighting for? Are we going to obey God's word when it says that sexual immorality is the path to death and destruction? Let's not doubt and disobey God's word. Let's trust and obey, like Jesus, the true man, did. And when you feel that being a Christian, it's just so belittling, that taking Jesus seriously, it's just a quick way to lose your friends and your job, when you're sick of always being in the minority, always being the butt of the jokes around the office at morning tea, when following Jesus means that your family excommunicates you, when being a servant of Christ just gets tiring and you wonder whether it's worth all the effort, that's Satan. Tempting you to give up on Jesus, tempting you to take the soft option and leave Jesus behind for the easy life. It's an assault on your life. What are you going to do with these temptations? Are you going to take the soft option like Adam did? Or are you going to trust Jesus when he says that if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated him first. Are you going to trust the word of God when it says that everyone who wants to live a godly life, they'll be persecuted? Are you going to trust Jesus when he says that the troubles that we have in this life, they're not worth comparing to the glories that wait. Let's not doubt and disobey God's word. Let's trust and obey like Jesus, the true man did. For remember, the devil, he's a defeated enemy. He's got nothing. The only strength he has is when we believe his lie. So just resist him and he will flee. Trust and obey the word of God and Satan can do nothing. We live with sin and Satan and death still being mopped up, yes, but a day is coming when the war will be declared finished forever and on that day our struggle with sin will be squashed. The presence of Satan purged. The reality of death removed. The Lord Jesus will take us and make us what we were meant to be, fit for paradise, fit to enjoy God forever with nothing and no one able to ever spoil it. That's what Jesus, the son of Adam, the son of God, 
That's what he came to do for us. And I reckon that makes him worth trusting and obeying, doesn't it? Let's pray.